Hey you guys, this is Books and Crimes and this is episode number 42 and this is part of our spooky October story. <laughs> Yay! So we both love October so much. We started decorating for Halloween in like the beginning of September. <laughs> I think I waited for the middle too. Yeah, we waited. Yeah, we waited. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> Alright, so in this one we have two crime stories. A um, urban legend that turned to be a true story and that's it. Alright, so this one is about corpsey. Um, cropsy, I'm sorry, not corpsey. Cropsy. <laughs> Cropsy was an urban legend told by parents to keep children from going far away from home. They to keep them from going out and keep them away from the woods. To keep them on their good behaviors and inside the house before dark. The legend goes that the crazy man escaped out of an asylum to live in the woods and he would take revenge on kids for the death of his wife and his children who were murdered. Some say that he killed them, others say that someone else did it, and some say that he had a machete, and some said that he had a hook or a hand. Either way, in the 70s, the urban legend came true, became a true reality for the community of Staten Island. Yes, this is a Staten Island thing. So, Frank Russian was born on March 11th, on March 11th, 1944, in Manhattan, to his mother and father. I could not find their names. Um, and his sister, I actually watched a documentary, and I was supposed to get the sister's name, but it literally like showed it for like a brief second. Oh, so there's a documentary about this? Yes. Um, you can find it on, I think it's like Tubi or Peacock. One of those you can find it on if you actually want to watch it. It's, I, this is where I got a lot of my information from. In the documentary, his sister said that they grew up as normal, in a normal household. They didn't receive any abuse of any kind. The only downfall to their, their childhood was that their mother had mental illnesses. When Frank's father died, when Frank was 14 years old, his mother was put into the Pilgrim Psychiatric Center that was an asylum. That was an asylum for people who had um, mental problems and things like that. Okay. Um, from 1931, and it's still considered open to this day. But I, I'm pretty Wait, sure. Wait, did it open in 1931? Yeah. Okay. But I'm pretty sure, like, the names and it's everything changed. has changed okay. throughout the years. I could be wrong on that, so don't judge me on that 100%. Um, Frank and his sister would visit that their, visit their mom on a regular basis. Later on in life, Frank started working at the Willowbrook State Asylum as a, as a custodian. So... In the documentary and a lot of um, different podcasts and stuff like that and different stories that I was reading, they was basically saying like that's just something like because that's what he grew up around 
visiting his mom in the asylum since he was like yeah. basically young. That's just kind of like what he gravi- 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 gravitated towards. There you go, yeah. Um, so as he got to a certain age, when he was able to get a job, that's the first oh, thing so that he went to. I was thinking like he got the job so he could like check on his mom. No, um, it didn't say when his mom died, um, but oh, at this time she he was like an adult. Oh. I don't know if she wasn't dead, but he was basically an adult to the point where like he didn't really focus on her. Oh much. yeah. So he started working as a custodian as Willowbrook's state asylum. Um, from what I read on it, I believe that this asylum was basically like a, a learning school for people, um, learning how to deal, like people who are practicing to be doctors to go in to learn how to deal with people who have mental issues okay. and physical problems and things like that. Um, a lot of people had Down syndrome. A lot of people had different things going on with them. Um, the Willowbrook Hospital is a story basically on its own. When I even clicked on the name and I started reading on the thing or that, of, a lot of stuff oh my God, it's crazy. Um, the documentary, I I literally, if you are a weak stomach, if you are a weak-minded, like when it comes to physical, mental, any kind of abuse like that, do not watch the documentary because it literally broke my heart. Um, the person who went into the asylum to, it reminded me of the American Horror Story. You remember at one of the beginning of the seasons mm-hmm. where she faked to be and a crazy person basically to go inside the asylum and she documented everything yeah. she's seen. This is basically what this guy did. And the things that he's seen, he smelt, he heard, and everything else. They showed the documentary footage in this documentary and it's it's really not for people who can't handle that type of thing because it literally made my stomach like, oh my God. It was built in the 1947, but it was closed in 1987. This is after a person went inside the place and did the documentary and turned it in and everything else. So it was built to only hold 4,000 people. But by 1965, the hospital actually has 6,000 people. I'm sorry, I messed that up. Okay, let me start all over. Okay, what is that? The Willowbrook Hospital is a story in its own. It was built in 1947 and it was closed in 1987. It was built to hold only 4,000 patients, but in 1965, the hospital had over 6,000 people. Oh my gosh. When I tell you, like, this, the documentary is like. I, I kind of wish I never watched it. They didn't show too much, but they showed enough for me to be like, wow. Um, and this is right here why I say what I say. There was one staff slash a nurse place to take care of 50 people. So one nurse, one nurse to, to take, take care, care of 50, 50 people. people. Yeah. 
And this is like, from what I read, this is like day and night. Like the staff couldn't leave to go home. Like there was no ships. So you had one person feeding, changing because they're, they're not mentally stable. They're not mentally bad. They don't have the capacity to understand how to take care of themselves. So you got one nurse or 50 people. So the nurse is at the um, the guy that did the documentary, I forgot to write down his name, but um, if you watch the documentary, we'll see. Um, they said that the place smelled literally like death and feces and pee and there was dirt and throw up all over the hospital. The hospital was ran and smelled like a zoo, basically like you got one person taking care of 50 people day and night so yeah i can understand but at the same time like i can't like i can picture it but that's a lot um the journalist slash news reporter had snuck into the hospital and there again that's where i say this reminds me of like the uh, american horror story um, they said there was actually a spot in the bottle called the snake pit. And in the snake pit, that's where they would practice on the needles and the eyes and the ears. And they would do electrical shocks, things like that. Because I don't I don't agree, but they say it's because they didn't understand the mental disability and things like that. But at the same time, what the fuck besides the shocks, the body and shove shit in their eyes that's and brains and shit like that. Like, I- what does sticking needles in the eye look like? It's disgusting. <laughs> um, later on in life, Frank started working at Willowbrook State As- Asylum as a custodian. From what I read on it, I believe that the asylum was a basically like a learning school. So these doctors were turning into doctors and coming to this specific specific school to practice on these patients to be able to get their degree to become a doctor. That's kind of wild. Um, so they were like the ones that were sticking the needles and doing all that. Yeah. Um, they were people learning how to deal with people who had Down syndrome and um, schizophrenia. This is what you said. Believe so because they didn't shut down until 87. Yeah, um, so that's another thing that they were trying to figure out was not just Down syndrome, it was another thing of like schizophrenia and stuff like that. And at this time, the only thing that they knew was like just literally damaged their brains. The Willowbrook Hospital is a stay in in its own, or a story in its own. I'm sorry, did I already read that? I believe so, yes. Um, 6,000 people? Yes, you did. Yeah, you did. Okay. Um, sorry. May 25th, 1969, Frank got a nine-year-old girl to get inside of his car. As what I read and heard, he used, like, a, um, lollipop candy type thing. Um, he drove to a vacant lot where he managed to get himself and the nine-year-old girl naked. But before he could actually do anything, cop drove up and caught Frank 
and he was arrested and charged with attempted rape. He received four years, but only served 16 months, which is basically a year and four months. Good thing Shortly after Frank was released, he changed his name to Andre Rand, and this is where he kept his name. Now, I'm not really sure if he actually lost his job at the asylum at this point or if he quit it because it didn't close in, until 87. Or, I'm assuming because he went to jail, he probably lost his job. I Googled, but I really couldn't find, but that's what I assumed too. Like, he, he, because he went to jail for some shit like that, he literally um, lost his job. Because even though they were like a shitty asylum where they didn't give a fuck, like, yeah, that does come some serious. Okay, in 1972, um, Alice, how would you pronounce that last name? Peria? Yeah. Peria? Peria? Okay, um, and her older brother, if you watch the documentary, it actually has her older brother's name. If you Google, you're not going to find it. That's weird. Exactly. That's why I, I meant to go back, I really did, I meant to go back to Diggy to look at the documentary because you could see the actual news clips from the trials and everything Ooh. going on. But if you Google specific names, you're not going to find much on the families, the relatives, nothing like that. And that's where I kind of fucked up this time because I meant to go back to the documentary for the name. But I feel like this is kind of more like, hey, if you want to know more, go find the documentary. It's actually free on, I think, Peacock or Tubi. You don't have to pay shit. All you have to do is go to that website, find it. It's called Cropsy. Um, so her older brother and Alice Peridia, Peridia, were playing in front of their apartment lobby when the older brother actually walked away for a few moments. When he took, when he had returned, his five-year-old sister, Alice was gone. Several witnesses said that they saw Andre and Alice at a park, or who they assume looked like Andre, at a park. I was, Alice was never seen again. Andre was the prime suspect due to his past of being a child pedophile because he likes to target mental kids, and this is where we will get into details further into the story. There is basically no evidence off of this though besides eyewitnesses. But they weren't even 100 sure if it was him or not. So what you'll see in a lot of these is it's all eyewitnesses. Okay. They they think it's him. They're not hundred percent, but they know basically ninety five percent it, it looks a, like there's him. a good possibility because Yes. Okay. okay. In 1979, Andre was accused of raping a woman uh, and a 15-year-old girl, but neither one of them actually came forward and pressed charges against them. 
1981, Andre offered a nine-year-old girl a lollipop and talked her into getting into his car. At this point, he owned a Volkswagen, and the young girl, the nine-year-old girl, was actually walking home. It doesn't say from everything that I looked into, it doesn't say where she was walking home from. Um, they just know that she was walking home. She denied the ride. She said, thank you, and good. Appreciate it. Yes. Um, so she kept walking. This actually made Andre extremely mad, and he began following her home. The girl noticed that he was following her home and hot ass fucking home. Oh, she got She ran home, and from the things that I read, so she got in the house, she locked the doors immediately. She got up underneath a oh, rug. I'm so glad she was smart. Yes. She got up underneath a rug, and she hid up underneath it. He actually followed her to her house. He got out of the car. He walked around completely around the house, trying to find open windows. He was trying to find open doors, things like that. He was looking in open windows, all that shit, trying to like see her to find her and stuff like that. He he couldn't find her. He didn't see her, nothing like that. He eventually left. Unfortunately, she didn't tell anybody until years later. Oh. So it never came anything about it. Like she never told her mom when they yeah. came home, nothing like that. So unfortunately, no charges were made. Nineteen eighty-one, seven-year-old. Remember this name. Holly Ann Hughes and her friend were walking to the corner store to buy some soap for her mother. Andre pulled up beside them and snatched Holly into the car. Um, witnesses said that they did see Holly with Andre later on, but her parents, the moment that, the, that they found out like she never came home, her parents immediately filed for a missing person report and a case started opening for it. In 1983, 11-year-old Tahis, I believe that's how you pronounce it, I'm so sorry if I pronounced it wrong, um, Jackson went to the grocery store to, or for her mother, but actually never returned. Twelve days later, she went, after she went missing, um, witnesses said that they seen her with a lookalike or Andre at a hotel. They questioned Andre, but nothing actually came from it. In 1983, Andre drove to Staten Island YMCA and decided to, to take 11 kids. Wait, car, he took 11 kids? 11 kids. Um, he went across the state line to New Jersey. He took them to White Castle Burgers to get them all burgers. And after they all ate, he took them to the airport around the gate center so that they could watch the planes um, take off and land. About five hours later, he brought the kids back to the YMCA where he was arrested and charged with unlawful imprisonment and served 10 months in jail. So in the documentary, I laughed because the, like the guy really like he he made this statement like I knew like he he when he showed up there he only wanted to like take one or two kids but he wasn't expecting like eleven kids to get in his van at this point because at the before he was driving a Volkswagen 
Right. At this point, he's driving a van. And he was not expecting 11 kids to get in his van. He was only expecting like one or two. He can hurt and kill one or two kids. But 11? I cannot believe 11 kids just got up. They're like, yeah, let's do this. (laughs) But they basically made it seem like they were like, hey, you know what? It's a free day out. Let's do this. Um, but he actually ended up getting 10 months in jail for it. In 1984, um, Hank, how would you pronounce it? Gafford? Gafford. Um, Hank Gafford was, was reported missing and didn't re- return home one night. Frank was about 21, 22 years old. 1984, Hank um, was reported missing when he didn't return home one night. Hank was only about 21, 22 years old, and this actually seems like a big switch up from his other victims. Yeah, because he's an adult. Yes. And the gender always goes for younger girls. girls yeah. Um, besides the YMCA. He actually tried for boys at that time, but he instead of getting two, he got two boys. Yeah, he got 11 boys so and he, he fucked up. I can't believe he was like, the only kids. thing I could do was go back. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't think he was expecting to get 11 kids. He pulled up to the YNCA and he was like, hey, get in the van. And they were like, okay. And he was like, oh, shit, what am I doing with all y'all? <laughs> but it was so funny because in the documentary, he's like, the kid, he, the one that they, um, Interviewed. interviewed he was literally like man it was basically like the best day of their lives they got white castle burgers they went across the state line they got to watch like they were literally at the gates watching airplanes take off and land like they lived their best fucking life and then they got dropped back off at the ymca he was like he didn't make the statement he was like um something about he figured that if he could take one or two, he could do something. But when 11 of us got in the car, he knew he couldn't do anything. There's two, um, there's actually two, two or three, what are they called? Documentaries or something okay. like that on him. Okay. Okay, so this is actually a big switch up and a big gender thing besides the YMCA. But Hank, technically have the mindset of a young 12 to 15 year old kid his iq at the age of 21 to 22 was actually in his 70s um witnesses said that they actually saw hank with andre or a lookalike early in the morning at so a restaurant he was mentally disabled they witnessed the seven they seen him with Hank in a restaurant eating breakfast from two, three o'clock in the morning. He was yet to be seen then. They always see a look like them. Um, 1987. Uh, Jennifer, I thought it was Schweiger. It's either Schweiger or Schweiger. Schweiger or Schweiger? I am so sorry because if you Google her name, she is a big person in the same thing. Um, so I'm so sorry for anybody who takes offense of how to say her name. I 
Yeah. I'm just gonna say Jennifer so that way it will, you know. Yeah, but you're correct. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, she was born with Down syndrome and she came up missing when she was only 12 years old. She was last seen while she asked her mother if she could go for a walk. And you gotta think, this is 1987. Look at us in the 1990s and early 2000s. Like, your mom was basically like my mom, even though we're basically sisters now. But it was like, okay, so we're gonna walk up to the corner service, which was literally the two blocks of like corner store guy literally watched us grow up from like kids to like grown ups. Oh, I'm gonna walk down to my friend's house, which is literally the next block. Like, at that time, your parents didn't care. They were like, okay, just don't go too far. Straight lights come on, you better be home. Call me when you get there. You know, things like that. But they didn't worry. She just wanted to go for a walk. Um, At 12 years old, even though she had Down syndrome, her mom, what I seen off the um, documentaries, the podcasts, and the other uh, websites, multiple websites that I looked into, her mom was basically like that, you know, like, you know what, you're 12 years old, you want to go around the block or walk, go ahead, you know, you're good, you know, she went for a walk, unfortunately, she never came back at this time, Um, she was last seen when she went uh, for a walk, when the sister, they saw her walking with Andre, or there again, a little like there was a five thousand dollar reward. I actually meant to look up to see what that in two thousand and twenty one how much it would be in the nineteen eighties. I'm pretty sure it would have been a little bit more, right? Yeah. Um um Unfortunately, 35 days later, under a, because when she went missing, her parents immediately um, did a missing persons report. 35 days later, they actually, during a walk through search and stuff like that, it was actually a off duty um, paramedic who found her. Um, yeah, he was a medical search and he. Her own sort of part of her body, and we sort of started. He, this piece of shit, literally gave her a shallow grave. When they started digging her grave, they found her. Um, so it's about $16,000. A little, it's over $16,500. Okay, so back in 87. By the Willowbrook State Asylum, where he used to work when they got shut down. Um, she was buried into a shallow grave. From there, the police decided that they would look further, and 
around the area to be able to find any kind of evidence and that's when they actually found the makeshift tents. The thing that they cannot understand is you had a Volkswagen and you had a van at one point where you making makeshift makeshift tents around the old asylum that you used to work at that is now shut down to do certain things because they got multiple calls about somebody who looked like him but they never had evidence right. it was all lookalikes um in 1988 andre was charged with kidnapping and first degree murder but because he was already in jail when they arrested him so when I read this, what I'm assuming is they, because witnesses said that they seen, seen him with Jennifer, they went ahead and arrested him. Um, they charged him with kidnapping, and they're assuming first-degree murder, but because he was already in jail for the kidnapping, and he was already in the middle of the 30, when they arrested him, when they arrested him 30 he had a 30 day evaluation with a psychiatrist or something okay. to see like what was mentally wrong with him um the court system on their own decided that they would not give him the death penalty because he was in a middle of the evaluation <clears throat> Andre did receive 25 years though for kidnapping Jennifer Schreier. Schreier? Yes. Yeah, um, he was actually eligible for parole in 2008, but in 2004, he went back to trial and was found guilty for kidnapping Holly. Do you remember oh, yep, yep. Okay. Even though this is 23 years later, he was found guilty for kidnapping her. So, because he's still in the same state and everything else, he received another 25 years to life. In 2037, Andre will be eligible for parole again, but at this point, he'll be 93 years old. Andre now. Um, was actually never convicted and never went to trial for any of the murders. Basically, all their information that they got was basically um, with eyewitnesses from what they've seen, um, from what he's admitted on his own, from little details, but he's never actually admitted to, you know, because yeah. they've never literally found any bodies. The only bodies that they found was, was Jennifer. Yeah, Jennifer's body. And he admitted to, I think he admitted to Holly's. Or they, they even found, they, he either admitted or they had enough evidence to go against him with Holly where he got convicted. But he was never charged for murder of any kind. It was only oh, kidnapping. Okay. Because they literally had no evidence. They didn't have a weapon. They didn't anything fingerprints nothing um 
the police couldn't find any evidence against him at all and that's why they said that that's the only thing that he got charged with was the kidnapping because all they had was eyewitnesses um thinking most of them said that they saw him um hearing and i'm so sorry for her during jennifer's trial he literally refused to look jennifer's mom in the eye um and the documentary i'm sorry go ahead. i was saying well i don't mean but why would he even like because he knows his mom it's yeah. disgusting the thing is, is like what I don't know. I can't remember if I read the if I put it in. I'm pretty sure I did. But at the beginning, like in the documentary that I even read, like his sister even said, like they never grew up with any kind of abuse of any kind. So for him to just turn around and do this, yeah, like. I... But she didn't also say that her brother was guilty. She never defended him. She never said that he was right. He never. She never said that he was wrong. She literally just said, "If he did it, I don't know why he would do it because we never grew up in that yeah. type of lifestyle." She didn't want to speak on it. I mean, I. I, I don't blame yeah, her. Yeah, you don't like, want to be a part of it. Um, in the documentary, uh, a lot of people that the people that did the documentary said that um, half the people. I'm sorry said that it was a satanic rituals and needed sacrificings um yeah um but you gotta think this is like you know even though it's that island it's not like a, a royal area whatever like when they did the documentary they looked like they were like kind of in the backwoods and I don't mean that in like a racist or disrespectful way because I literally live in the backwoods. But from the documentary that I've seen, it would be like the people that live out here around me. I don't know how people would take that if I say that, but they literally have them thought it was Santanic rituals. A lot of them thought it was sacrifice. Um, a lot of them thought that it that he didn't um it, Andre did not go on. And then a lot of them said that Andre only kidnapped the kids to pass them around to other homeless people and mentally disabled people before those people, whoever ended up with them, did what they did. Oh, My thing is, is like an urban legend that comes from like a guy that escapes from the asylum and because his wife and his kids was murdered he he lives in the woods and if you go too far and you strong you know you stray from home or if you do bad or this and that he's gonna get you turns into a literally nightmare where he targets its young targets young as young kids yeah and disabled children at that Okay, so this is our little crime stories, and this one takes place in Ox Austin, Texas. <laughs> um, 
on December 2018, I zeroed Luca P. What? Macarino? It looks like Macarino. Uh, he robbed a bank. He robbed a what? A BBVA Compass Bank. Oh, so glad I said bank because I thought that was bank. Um, Luca came into the bank and handed the teller a note that read, This is a robbery. <laughs> robbery. Please give me. He said, Please. <laughs> Please give me. All your 150s in an envelope and everything will be okay. The scared teller gave him the money and then he left with on an electric scooter. Please look at the surveillance from nearby businesses which showed the matching suspect descriptions riding the scooter. They noticed the scooter was a jump scooter, which is owned by Uber. But I didn't know that. Oh, so he literally Ubered a scooter to go no, ride? So, so you know how they have those scooters? Well, we just saw them. That, um, like in Orlando yeah, and Yeah, people are riding the scooters. Yeah, it's one of those, but it's owned by but Uber puts them out. Well, okay. So Wow, they were in already out in 2018? Yeah, yes. Oh my god, I just noticed them this year. Where have I been? I just noticed this year. Okay. I'm so glad we're not alone. <laughs> um, the police requested the account information from the Uber that the Uber in that area from and from that they were able to identify the Oh, so because he put his information because it's yep. credit card because they run off the credit cards, uh -huh. right? He was arrested and charged with robbery and for robbery by threat, a, a second degree felony. Wow. What's your name, Luca? Shame on you. He's a pretty dirty like. <laughs> Okay, this one takes place in Arizona. In 2018, a 80-year-old Robert Francis, Francis yeah. uh, Krebs was arrested in connection with the armed robbery at a pyramid credit union. Is that a big? Yes. Never heard of it. Uh, Robert had a handgun and demanded money from the teller. Once he received the money, he took off running. An employee at Tucson Hotel called 911 after spotting Robert. So because he was sold, uh, he just had the money in his hand running from the bank and he just watched him run out the bank with the money. How did he know? I, yeah, I'm not actually sure. The cutest thing right now. I know. I'm so sorry, guys. If you've seen our little, little thumper cuddled up to his pet tiger right now, sleeping is the cutest. Oh, can we take a picture and upload it? We'll upload it to whatever we can. It is the cutest thing. I love him. I'm going to give them boobs. Okay, back to the story. Um, yeah, so what? 
did the, the, the teller just like see him go into the bank and then come running out the bank with the money? Like how did they yeah, how did he not... know to call him unless he come running out the bank and maybe that was suspicious because he already knew. I don't know. I probably would have called my own because I don't want to get into any of that business. I can't deal with the drama. What if that guy recognized my face with my glass window and he was like, I don't hear the one that called the cops that I'm going to kill you. And I'm like, I swear to God, I went, man. <laughs> Couldn't do it. Uh, Robert tried to check in. Oh, so he went to the fucking hotel? Yeah. But he was before he could. Robert, what the fuck, bro? He was arrested at a nearby hotel, so he went to another hotel and not probably not in the same city where he can get away from checking in. Fucked up, Robert. Fucked up. Like, dude, you're eight years old and you just like now they're off a damn thing. Ah! He was 80? Yeah, he was 80. Damn, Robert. You would not say nothing just in case you're still alive. I mean, it probably, it probably is, but it's been 20 years. Your whole life changes when you go in jail. He robbed a bank. You know he's in there for life. Your whole eating habits and everything change when you get a number, motherfucker. Alright, so. This is episode number... 42. 42! And this is part of our Halloween spookiness. Yeah. So we hope that you enjoyed that. This is our urban legend and our two little crime stories. And we hope that we <laughs> get you to listen to us next week. Yeah.